The stage is set for the 2020 campaign, and so is the Democratic ticket. Ahead of this week's virtual convention, we're hearing from the Biden-Harris campaign, and we'll get reaction from Indiana Senator Mike Braun, former Senator Joe Donnelly, and Trump campaign spokesman Hogan Gidley. Plus, I'll talk about the coronavirus crisis with Surgeon General and former Indiana Health Commissioner Jerome Adams. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. This is a moment of real consequence for America. Historic moments on the campaign trail this week as Senator Kamala Harris is added to the Democratic ticket, kicking off a busy couple of weeks with the virtual conventions set to begin tomorrow. It's a very different election year in the midst of this pandemic. The conventions, the big events on the campaign trail, everything has a different look and feel. We're going to talk about the race for president later today, but we're also getting the latest this morning on the coronavirus crisis. And we start with my exclusive interview with Surgeon General and former Indiana Health Commissioner Dr. Jerome Adams. Dr. Adams, thanks so much for being with us. I want to ask you about the coronavirus here in Indiana. A couple weeks ago, Dr. Burks warned that Indianapolis could be an emerging hotspot. What stands out when you look at the numbers here in Indianapolis and across the state of Indiana? Well, thank you for that question. And uh, again, Indianapolis has been on our radar screen. What we try to do is, is divvy up uh, not just states, but also cities into what we call green, yellow, and red. Uh, green is if your positivity rate is less than 5%, yellow is 5 to 10%, and, uh, and red is over 10%. Indiana as a state now has a 7.8% positivity rate when you look at the last seven days average. In Marion County and Allen County, uh, where I'm actually right now, uh, are, uh, are over 10%. So we want the people of the state to know, and particularly those regions to know, we are concerned, but we also want them to know that we, we have the tools to be able to turn this around very quickly, what I call the three W's. Number one, wash your hands. Number two, watch your distance, meaning stay six feet from others and avoid crowded indoor spaces. And number three, wear a mask. If we do those three things, we can turn a red into a yellow or a yellow into a green, and we can open and, and do it safely and stay open. What about the delays in getting test results back? How much of a problem is that causing here in Indiana and across the country? Well, it's important to know that a test result that comes back uh, 7, 10, 14 days later does not allow us to, to isolate and contact trace, which is something that we feel is important to contain the virus. So we're very cognizant of concerns about delays. What I will tell you is about 50% of the testing done in the nation is done either point of care, which is 15 minutes or less, or in hospitals, which is 24 hours or less. So what we're really talking about is the 50% of tests that are done in private labs. And right now, I, I talked to our testing czar this morning, the testing time on average across the country is now down uh, to less than three days for the private labs. And most private lab tests are coming back within two days. So this is a problem. It's a problem for, uh, for, for some labs and some people in particular. It's the problem we're working on, but we are continuing to drive down those cases. And again, as a public health physician, uh, I want people to know that we feel testing is important, but we can't test our way out of this problem. We need to lean on prevention, and that's making sure everyone's wearing a mask, washing their hands, and watching their distance from others. Well, and Dr. Well, Fauci said recently that when compared to other countries, 
we, quote, aren't doing great. And the numbers do bear that out when you talk about 160,000 deaths across the United States. Why aren't we doing great? And what do we need to be doing differently still? Well, uh, I think that two things can be true at once. It can be true that uh, there are a lot of people out there doing the right thing and also true that we need to do better. And so when you look at Finland, Norway, Sweden, uh, Taiwan, uh, Canada, we actually have a higher mask compliance rate here in the U.S. than they have in those other countries. And 160,000 deaths is tragic by any metric. I want to remind people that back in March and, and April, there were public health experts, many of them predicting that we would have well over a million deaths at this point. And so thanks to people doing the right thing to flatten the curve, uh, we, we've successfully dropped those death rates to a percentage of what people previously predicted. But that, that doesn't mean we can't and shouldn't do more. We must stay vigilant. And I think, honestly, it's because uh, uh, that it's summertime. In summertime, we, we know that people want to go out to family gatherings, to picnics. Uh, they they want to hang out. And what I would say to folks is uh, we can get through this and we can get through this and get to a place where we can safely reopen. But uh, if people just ignore those basic public health measures, we're going to continue to see spread increase. And we're actually going to lose choices and lose freedom because we're going to be forced to shut down schools, worship. Uh, I'm a Colts season ticket holder still. I want to see the Colts play in the fall. That's not going to happen if people don't take on the minor inconveniences of wearing a face covering and watching their distance when they go out and being meticulous with hand washing. Well, and speaking of, of football quickly, there's a lot of questions, a lot of confusion uh, this week, some really different approaches out there. High school teams are about to take the field, but the Big Ten, the Pac-12, have decided based on health guidelines that it isn't safe. Other conferences still plan to play. The president himself was encouraging the season to move forward. Is that wise to do in your view? And does this speak to a lack of consistent messaging more broadly, not just on football, from the government on what is safe and what isn't safe right now? Well, here's the challenge. The United States is a big country. Uh, we get compared to New Zealand. Uh, Indiana has a population larger than the entire country of New Zealand. We get compared to Germany. Germany is geographically the size of Montana. If you're in a place that has a low positivity rate and a low transmission rate, uh, you can safely reopen knowing that there's a low chance of disease getting into your school or into your football team. If you're in a place with runaway transmission, and right now I wouldn't call Indianapolis and Allen County runaway, but they're in our red zone, then you need to be more cautious. We want people to make informed decisions and recognize they have the power to lower transmission and to safely reopen. All right, Dr. Adams, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Meantime, in Washington, the debate continues over another stimulus package. With the Senate now on recess, our Kayla Sullivan spoke this week with Indiana Senator Mike Braun about the stalled negotiations. Each day I get updates, and uh, apparently there's been no move on it. Sometimes this has got to get closer to a point where uh, you either do it uh, or there's a point of no return. And you're also looking at the election, which is now counting down under 90 days, that uh, that's going to come into play. So if they do get something done, it's between Mark Meadows, Steve Mnuchin, and Nancy Pelosi. And uh, we'll get called back to vote on it. What do you think about Joe Biden's pick for VP? So I don't know Kamala well. Uh, she was out campaigning for a good uh, stretch there when uh, uh, she and Amy Klobuchar, uh, Bernie Sanders, and a few others. Um, I think that 
She is going to be teamed up with Joe Biden, and I think it's going to be a more left agenda than what the Obama-Biden platform was. And all I can tell you, as a Main Street business owner, um, we were not uh, doing near as well with those policies as we did post-Trump, regardless of what you think about his style, his presentation. The policies were there that uh, reinvigorated Main Street and first time wages were rising for those that needed it the most. That didn't happen with Obama-Biden policies. It'll even be worse under uh, a Biden-Harris platform. So that's going to be my job is to convince why that would be a bad decision for voters to want to go back to that. Uh, we need to stick with what was working, and that won't. Senator Todd Young posted a statement on his campaign page saying, with Joe Biden selecting Kamala Harris, it's clear the Democratic Party has fully embraced the far left and their radical governing agenda, in his words. Across the aisle, Congressman Andre Carson said, my friend Kamala Harris is a fighter for equality. She's incredibly smart, tough as nails, and also has a heart big enough to truly understand the crises Americans are facing. He says she'll make an excellent vice president. This week, I also spoke with former Indiana Senator Joe Donnelly, who served with Harris in the Senate. She's smart. She's focused. Uh, she's a serious legislator, works very, very hard. She serves on the Intelligence Committee, and, you know, I served on the Armed Services Committee. So we worked on national security issues together. And from day one in this position, she'll be ready to make sure America is protected, America is safe. She was also the district attorney and the attorney general of the entire state of California. And uh, she has great experience in law enforcement and making sure families and children are protected. And so... She, she brings just about everything you could imagine to, well, uh, to this position. And I want to ask about that specifically, uh, especially in terms of the, the divide between progressives and, and moderates for those in the party who had perhaps hoped for a, a more progressive candidate. How will her background as a prosecutor and an attorney general play this year within the more progressive wing of your party? Well, I, I think it's what America has hoped for. You know, I... I uh, talked with Senator Harris about that and told her my opinion was that this is a huge plus for her because um, why would someone not be for uh, an attorney general who has protected children, who has protected um, um, moms and women in danger, who has protected uh, families? That's what an attorney general does. They do um, really good things for their state to protect the people of their state from uh, those who might pray and take harm. And so I have, I have thought from the, from the moment this began that that was actually a real plus for her. Amidst uh, everything going on this year, this is such an unusual election year. How do you see these next few months playing out in terms of this 2020 election and what's on the line in this race for president? Well, I think it comes down to... Um, the question Ronald Reagan asked, you know, president, not president, he wasn't president at the time, but that he asked um, back in the campaign in 1980, which is he, he looked into the camera and said, are you better off than you were four years ago? And that's that's the question now. Um, no one blames President Trump for the actual virus occurring. Um, but President Trump and Vice President Pence have been responsible for the uh, for that. There's no other word than pathetic response that we've had in our country in trying to um, in trying to deal with this, we have lost over 
162,000 uh, fellow citizens in our country. We've had an economic collapse. And so I think that um, the American people, they just want to get back to, um, to normal. Former Senator Joe Donnelly, more reaction to the pick from another former presidential candidate, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who said Harris fights tirelessly for justice, dignity and equality for all Americans. Of course, a different perspective from the Trump campaign. This week, I spoke with campaign spokesman Hogan Gidley. Joe Biden has completed uh, the move to the radical left socialist wing of the Democrat Party. We we were, we were thinking about it for some time. His, his motions and his moves were leaning that direction. He'd been an empty vessel. Uh, we've been pointing that out, but empty vessels have to be filled with something. And sooner or later, um, Joe Biden was filled with the ideas of the radical left wings and reaches of his political party, the Democrats. And here we are, he's picked somebody right in that line. In fact, GovTrack has Kamala Harris, for example, as the most uh, radical, most left, most liberal senator uh, in all of uh, all of Congress, including past Bernie Sanders. So uh, the move to the left is complete. And usually in campaigns, as you well know, people kind of go to the edges um, to win the nomination. Then they try to move back to the center. For the first time, I think, in political history, this guy tried to start down the middle in Joe Biden. And now he is tacking way back to the left. So uh, it's an interesting shift and an interesting change, but the American people are going to decide soon enough. All right, coming up next this Sunday in Focus, our panel weighs in on the Democratic ticket, and we'll talk about what the conventions will be like in the days to, this, days to come in this new normal. Then later, the school funding debate, Democrats and the state superintendent pushing back on a potential funding cut. Now the governor says he has a new plan. We'll have the latest straight ahead. Welcome back. Time to bring in our panel right now. Robin Winston, Tony Samuel, Jennifer Wagner, Mike Murphy with us today. Let's start with this race for president and the Biden-Harris ticket. Robin, what does this move mean both politically and historically? Well, it means tremendous things politically. Uh, Kamala Harris has a proven track record as a United States senator. She ran the largest law firm in the country as the attorney general of California. Uh, she brings another intangible to this, and that is the ability to connect with people of all walks of life. If you've been a United States Senator from, from California, it's a pretty diverse state, so you've had to have the ability to deal with all kinds of people. Historically, it uh, is something that uh, will go down in the books in history. We'll have the first African-American elected as, as uh, Vice President, first Asian-American elected as Vice President. It's just tremendous and a tremendous role model for all of us, and particularly our young women who aspire to do great things in politics. The first woman of color on a major party ticket. Tony, what will we see when Senator Harris and Vice President Pence square off on the debate stage in October? Well, I think you'll see Senator Harris attacking uh, President Trump, as they have been doing all week, and that's really their only uh, real campaign strategy. And you'll see Vice President Pence do a great job like he did uh, against Tim Kaine. He really... Uh, uh, beat Tim Kaine badly in the debate uh, four years ago, and and he's uh, excellent at this sort of thing. And and you'll see a very polished uh, 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 debater and, and Vice President Pence, and he's going to win the debate. Jennifer, there's been a lot of talk this week about the Republican reaction to Harris uh, joining the ticket. And what avenue do they pursue, uh, kind of, to attack her? What do you make of everything we've seen this week? I think it's it's remarkable. I want to echo everything that Robin said. Uh, it's historic. Um, I think you saw in the the outpouring of support from Democrats and I mean in the fundraising numbers, it was a really great pick for Joe Biden. 
But I think the best measure of what a great pick it was is uh, the Republican response. And I liken sometimes the president to, you can't see them, but I have two golden retrievers right here by my side. And uh, when they see a squirrel out the window, it does not matter if they're in the middle of playing ball or getting petted. They go nuts. And that's what you saw this week from the president. He could not handle it. And he has no good attacks. And so he's going after her on race and on gender. And it's sad to see, but that's what we've come to. We will watch and see if we hear from uh, the Golden Retrievers during this program. Uh, Mike, your thoughts uh, on how this uh, changes the campaign? Does it, does it move any voters? Or is everyone, uh, uh, most voters, you think, locked in already on their choice? Well, obviously, the country is so polarized, I'm not sure it makes a big difference. I mean, I would not take Kamala Harris lightly at all. As Robin said, she's a very accomplished person. She did make a lot of mistakes during the uh, Democratic debates, which the Republicans will be able to go back and, and throw back in her face and in Biden's face as well. Things like uh, going after arresting people for very small drug offenses and, and things like that. And and that's one of the reasons some of the African-Americans were uh, a suspect of her early on. Um, this is clearly a move to motivate the black base, which it should be. Uh, Biden has to have every possible African-American voter in order to beat Trump. But in reality, she doesn't bring really any electoral votes with her. The Democrats are going to get California no matter what happens. And so I think her, her, her big bump is going to come over the next couple of weeks. And then as happens in all presidential races, she and, and uh, Pence will fade back to the background. And it's really Trump versus Biden. Who do you hate more? Well, of course, she went after Biden in one of those debates that you mentioned. Uh, the conventions sure. start tomorrow, Robin. And just like the rollout of this ticket, it's all going to look very different because of the pandemic. The speeches being given virtually. It seems we always ask every election year, do conventions still matter? particularly this year, that, that seems like a pertinent question. It's a pertinent question. I mean, I was on my way to Milwaukee, but now we're not doing that. So we'll be watching it from home or watching it on our tablets or whatever we want to watch it on our phones. Um, it will let the candidates get their message out, but then they got to hit the trail sooner or later. And that's going to be very interesting. I would say um, one thing about Senator Harris's addition to the ticket, while she may not bring in immediate electoral votes, obviously California, I think will win. She will help in battleground states, which have cities like Detroit, Columbus, Indianapolis right here, and other battleground states that could end up helping and energize our base and turn out good numbers and make Philadelphia in play and Pittsburgh in play and make those states back in our column. Obviously, those swing states are pretty crucial. Tony, what, what do you expect to see out of these conventions the next couple of weeks in the midst of this pandemic? Well, you're going to see the contrast between the two parties. You know, remember when we were talking about the primaries and the Democrats had 30-some people, and I kept saying they're moving each other further and further to the left. They're trying to out, outdo each other, moving to the left, and they're going to fall off a cliff. Well, they've fallen off of that cliff, and picking Kamala Harris is uh, evidence of that. And you'll see that uh, when they're on display at the at the, the Democrat National Convention, and then contrast that with President Trump and, and Vice President Pence and all the accomplishments that they've made. You know, they had a roaring economy before uh, coronavirus hit. They'll talk about all the, the strengths from that and, and the international affairs, the, the deal that was just made between uh, the peace deal between Israel and the UAE and, and more of that to come. So you'll see a lot of accomplishments uh, uh, supporting the military, funding the military, um, helping our farmers, uh, helping our blue collar workers, taking care again, of uh, yeah, yeah. families in need during this coronavirus pandemic. And 
And that'll be the big contrast that the American people will see. What will these conventions even look like? What will Election Day look like, right? Election Day itself, a lot of discussion about that. A lot of people voting absentee, a lot of controversy with some issues at the post office and the fight, Jennifer, over getting more funding to the post office ahead of Election Day. Yeah, that's certainly a very sad development that happened this week is to see the post office, which all of us rely on to get not just our ballots, but all of our mail every day, become this focal point uh, on funding and become just a political football. Um, I hope that we're able to see more absentee voting. I hope that we're able to make it as easy as possible for people to cast their votes in the midst of this pandemic. I have my doubts, but I also think that you're seeing uh, more and more as the president loses his mind when he sees his polling numbers and goes after any target that's in in his line of sight, um, I think you're seeing rational minds on both sides prevail and say, no, wait, hang on, we can't do that. We can't do that, sir. Let's, let's, let's take a step back. A lot of discussion at the national level about that topic, also at the state level, about who can uh, legally vote by mail. Jennifer, Mike, Tony, Robin, we've got to leave it there. Thank you all so much. We appreciate it. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, the debate over school funding, what the governor said this week and how leading lawmakers are reacting now. That's next. Governor Eric Holcomb is calling on the State Board of Education to ensure schools still get 100% funding through the pandemic. There's been controversy over whether schools that choose not to reopen for in-person learning will receive full funding. The governor says he's committed to making that happen. It would require a special meeting to push back the count date for enrollment so that schools won't be punished if they're operating virtually. Without that change, state law would require schools doing virtual learning to be funded at 85%. This week, I spoke with House Minority Leader Phil Giaquinta. It's been very confusing. The, the best thing that we can do for, um, for sure, for, for superintendents, for administrators, uh, is to give a clear message that uh, funding uh, will be there. Superintendent Jennifer McCormick said the transition to offering multiple platforms is expensive and schools shouldn't be penalized for current and fluid regional safety issues. It'll be a big issue to watch in next year's budget session at the State House. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Much more ahead on Fox News Sunday and Face the Nation. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.